If you have your Bibles, open up to the Old Testament, the first book in the Bible, uh, Genesis. We're looking at a few verses in chapter 32 tonight, verses 22 through 32, and we'll get to that here in just a few moments. So who in here has watched any of the Marvel action films? Anybody like them, like the Hulk or like Iron Man or, you know, those? So my favorite series of all the Marvel Universe is Thor. Anybody like Thor? I don't know, there's just something cool about Thor. So, so Thor is like this mythical Norse god um, who wields this mighty hammer to defeat his enemies. And throughout the, the series of movies, uh, Thor, although having some, some pretty incredible power and um, defeated some pretty um, tough supervillains, often got himself into some trouble because, well, let's just say it, he was a little immature. Um, and, and, he, and he made some decisions that weren't very wise. Uh, the good thing for his, he generally got himself out of them because he was so powerful. However, in the third film, if you remember Thor Ragnarok, um, he met his evil sister, Hela, which was the goddess of death, supposedly. And anyways, he found out very quickly that he wasn't quite as strong as he always thought he was. So there's a scene where he takes his hammer and he chucks it at his sister because he figures, well, she can't take the hammer, right? Well, she grabs that sucker out of thin air and just goes, I mean, it just like squishes it into just powder, right? And at that moment, he's just like, totally defeated. Like, how could this possibly happen? And as the movie progresses, um, his sister takes control of the kingdom of Asgard, and, um, and Thor tried everything he knew how to defeat his sister and to free his people, but um, he was seemingly powerless against her, even um, losing one of his eyes um, in the midst of the battle. And so finally there's this scene toward the end of the movie where his sister, um, who was about to destroy everything um, that, that, that Thor loved, has Thor pinned down and is ready to finish him as well, right? And then there's this scene where Thor like transports and he's standing in the presence of his father Odin. And he gets down flat on his knees and just looks at his father like, I need help. To which his father said, he says, Thor, even when you had two eyes, you only saw half the picture. Thor said, well, she's too strong. Without my hammer, I can't defeat her. And I love what Odin said. He says, are you the god of hammers? He said, the, hand, he said, the hammer was given to you just to help you control your powers. It was, it was never your source of strength. You have to go back and you have to help the people that need you. And, and Thor looked at his father and he says, but, but I'm not as strong as you are. And Odin says, no you're stronger. And then he transports back into the, this scene with his sister, and in that moment he realized that he had placed his trust in the wrong thing all along. His hammer wasn't really where the true power lied because he wasn't the god of hammers, he was the god of thunder and lightning. And in that moment he called down this massive lightning bolt and he has more power um, than he has ever had in his entire life, but it wasn't just the power that he had. He had a new sense of humility, um, and he became the leader that his people always needed. Now, cool movie, right? But uh, what in the world does that have to do with us? And what is a better question is what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, as we'll see today, it couldn't be maybe, I'm not sure there's a better illustration to use. You know, one thing that is interesting to me when it comes to our view of the Bible and the people in it is that we far too often look at the characters in Scripture and, and put them up on a pedestal. 
Whoever looks at some of the people in the Bible and you look at them kind of like spiritual superheroes, like these people that are just incredible, like they're way up here, and how will we ever attain the faith that they had? But the reality is, is that they were people just like you and me. You know, they had problems they had to deal with. They had personal struggle, struggles and, and sins they had to learn how to overcome. They made bad decisions that they regretted, and they had to deal with the consequences and the, all the choices that followed. They had to make the choice to place their faith in the Lord, and, 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 their, and their, their faith journey was just that. I mean, all of them, it was a journey to become the hero of the faith that we look at them as. But, but, you know, our favorite men and women of the Bible became heroes of the faith as we see them today. Um, but they were just regular people that learned from their mistakes, just like you and me. They had to learn how to trust God, to learn how to make the right choices. And that is certainly true of the man that we're going to be looking at today, whose name is Jacob. So let's go ahead and read our passage of Scripture today, Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. It says this, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions, and this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go. For the dawn is breaking, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Then verse 28 said, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And even today, the people of Israel don't need the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as his blessing upon our time. Father God, thank you so much for um, your word, um, for these, these passages of scripture that we have that guide us, that lead us, that instruct us in our lives. Heavenly Father, tonight we just pray that you would move in hearts and minds and lives. Um, Father God, what we, I know that there's no power in my speech. The power comes from your Holy Spirit um, working. So I just pray that you'd use my lips to speak to your people tonight, Father. I submit myself to you, and I pray that we'd all submit ourselves to you in these moments. God, just remove any distractions, any hindrances um, to what you're wanting to do here in this place tonight, and I just pray that all the glory and honor and praise would go to you and to you alone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our verses for today take place when Jacob um, was well advanced in years. Um, Most of his children um, had already been born. And although it seems kind of crazy, Jacob was 97 years old during this passage. Now Jacob is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So Abraham, kind of the father of our faith, would have been his grandfather, right? Now at this point, um, Jacob had 12 of his 13 children already. Um, the, the only one he hadn't had yet was Benjamin. Um, it would be some time before he had them. Um, but in our verses today, we see that Jacob gets himself into a wrestling match, not with just anybody, but a wrestling match with God, which seems a little bit kind of crazy to me. 
right? Now, what this is, I told you last week, we had kind of a similar thing. This is what you would call a, a real big fancy word called a theophany, when, when the Lord God appears in human form in the Old Testament, right? Um, and this was kind of what this was, and, and Jacob clearly makes that clear, that he had wrestled with God. Now, as we think about this text, there's some questions that I want to ask to kind of get us started, right? Now, one to me is this, why would God come and wrestle with Jacob in the first place? Like, was he bored? You know, did he just want to practice his skills? I mean, what, what was that all about? Was there more to it than he just wanted to come and have a scrap, right? Um, another question I have that honestly has nothing to do with my message, but it's just interesting, is how in the world could Jacob, at 97 years old, wrestle all night long and wrestle with God at that all night long? I mean, there's something about that to me that just seems kind of crazy. Obviously, he had like some super Wheaties or something. Uh, I, I don't know, but 97 years old must have looked a lot different then than it does today is all I got to say. But the big question is, is what in the world is the point of this whole passage? Because it kind of just seems random, doesn't it? Well, like most passages of Scripture in the Bible, to fully understand and appreciate what's going on here, we really got to get some context and look at the, the circumstances that kind of led up to this moment in Jacob's life. And so what I'm going to do um, for the next number of minutes here is kind of glance back a number of chapters. We're not going to read it all. I'm just going to give you an overview of Jacob's life because really all of it plays into this one moment in time where Jacob finds himself wrestling with God. Now the story of Jacob begins actually, well obviously, but it begins even in scripture with, with him before he was even born, like while he was still in his mother's womb. You know, as the old saying goes, boys will be boys, and this was very true of Jacob and his brother Esau, even from before they were ever born, before they ever took their first breath. In Genesis chapter 25, um, their, their mother Rebecca was talking to God, is like, what is wrong with these kids inside of me? They're like fighting, and God told them, he says, well, better expect it because out of those two boys are going to come two nations. And one ended up being Israel through Jacob and the other one ended up being Edom through Esau. Now, when they were born, um, verse 16 of chapter 25 tells us that uh, when, when, when Esau had birthed, as he was coming out, I know it's kind of a descriptive view, but, but Jacob had a hold of his heel. Like, when, he, when they were being born, it was just like this picture of their entire life, as we're going to see here in a moment, because he was like this pesky little brother that would not uh, leave well enough alone. Well, as um, they, they grew, and in Genesis chapter 25, Esau becomes a skillful hunter, it says, and, and he was an outdoorsman, but Jacob says was a quiet-tempered man preferring to stay at home. Now, because of this, in verse 28, the Bible says that uh, Isaac became very fond of Esau because he was a man of the field. A man, he was a hunter, right? I mean, he was a man's man, and, and he was a dad's boy, right? Well, Jacob, not so much. He would what you call a, a mama's boy, and he was a, a big-time mama's boy, as we'll see. Now, and as, as the story goes on, these two babies grow into young adults, and in chapter 25, later on there, we see this picture of, of Esau is out in the field, out, he's out in the field, he's hunting for a game, he's doing his thing, while Jacob's at home doing what a boy at home does, right? And he's, and he's cooking. Nothing wrong with that, but he's cooking, and, and Esau comes back, and he's starving, he's been out in the field, he's like, Jacob, you need to give me some of that stew, I'm going to die of starvation, and I want some of that stew, and Jacob's like, uh, I'll give you some for a price, well, what's your price? I don't care what it is. If I'm, if I'm dead, what's it matter, Esau said. I need some of that stew. And Jacob says, well, 
if you give me your birthright, I'll give you a bowl of this soup. He's like, whatever, I don't care about my birthright. I mean, he, he was a young man. He wasn't even thinking about that, right? But it was a big deal because, especially in this culture, the, a, a, a Jewish kid, a, a, this, they would receive a, a double portion of everything that was their father's. And so to Jacob, he, he knew this, and Esau was just too hungry to even thinking about it. But, but Jacob, in this moment, kind of stole his birthright. Now, from this point on, you would think that they would eventually begin to grow up as they age, because as you get to chapter 27, we see Jacob stealing not only what he stole a number of years before, he also steals the fatherly blessing. Now, at this particular time, Isaac, their father, is about 140 years old, which again, just seems crazy, right? But he was 140 years old. At this time, Jacob and Esau would have been like in their late 50s. So if you can kind of get this picture. And as the old saying goes, they they must have been old enough to know better, but still too young to care. Um, if you're old enough to know that song, you'll, you'll get that. Um, uh, Isaac told Esau, he says, look, I'm getting old. My eyes are bad. I can't see anything. My, my, death's at, as at my door. Here's what I want you to do. I want to give you my blessing. Before I give it to you, I want you to go out and hunt me some wild game. Make me my favorite, my, my favorite food and bring it to me. Then I'm going to give you my blessing. Now, a blessing was a big, big deal, especially as we read it in Scripture, and I think there's, there's something to it still today, right? But a fatherly blessing was like more than just, hey, you're going to be successful in life, right? It, it was very prophetic in nature, meaning when, when Isaac gave this specific blessing to his sons, they literally followed it to the T throughout their lives and the generations that follow them. So it was very much of a prophetic thing, and so this was very much a big deal. Well, so, so Esau goes out of the field. Well, one little thing that will happen here is Mama Bear was listening to this. Rebecca. And Rebecca didn't want Esau to get the fatherly blessing. She wanted her baby to get the fatherly blessing. So she tells Jacob, her son, listen, your, your dad's about to give your brother a blessing, and we need to make sure he gives you the blessing and not your brother. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the field, and I want you to get a couple goats and bring them to me, and I'm going to fix your father's favorite meal, right? And then you're going to bring it to him, and you're going to get the blessing. Well, Jacob's like, yeah, Mom, but uh, how's this going to work? Because, you know, Esau, he's, he's a hairy dude. And look at me, I'm just fair-skinned. I don't even hair in my arms and my hand. My dad's going to see this for sure, right? And so mom's like, don't worry about it. We got it taken care of. Just go do what I told you to do. So he does. He go gets the goat. She brings it back. She prepares it. And she, what she also does, she takes the skin of the goat and she puts it on his, like, like right here over his hands and, and around his neck and everything. And so the idea, his father Isaac was blind, right, at this particular time, and so she wanted to trick him. And so, anyways, Jacob takes the stew and, and, and agrees to go do this. As he comes in, he starts talking to his dad, and, and, and Isaac's like, you know, you, you tell me you're Esau, but you sound an awful lot like, like Jacob. And he says, how in the world did you go out and hunt this wild game and prepare it so quickly? Well, Jacob just adds on to the lie in a really bad way. In Genesis 27 and verse 20, he says, Well, the Lord your God, he put that animal right in my path. So God provided for me just so I get you some dinner, Dad. 
right? And so Isaac's like, okay, a little bit skeptical still. And, and so he goes ahead and, and he eats it and, and it was good. But he says, son, he says, before I give you my blessing, I, I want you to come near to me so I can put my arms around you and smell you and give you a hug. See, in Isaac's mind, he thought he was being swindled, right? Well, he was. He just didn't realize it. But when, when, when Jacob came close, he, he, put, he felt his hands and, and, and he put his arm up around his neck and pulled him close. And he says... Now I'm convinced because you, you smell like the field. <laughs> Tells you something about Esau's hygiene, doesn't it? He smelled like a bunch of old goats. But, uh, but, but, it's, but he, he, so anyways, Jacob tricked his father and he got this fatherly blessing. He didn't just get a blessing. He got like the full blessing to where there was no blessing left for Esau. So when Esau gets back, he comes to his father and says, Father, here's your meal just like you asked for. And at this point, Isaac is just absolutely infuriated. And he says he was trembling and shaking. He was so angry. And he said, your brother tricked me. And Esau's like, well, is, don't you have any blessing left? I'm like, you don't have any blessing whatsoever left for me at all. And Isaac's like, no, I'm sorry. I have nothing. You're going to serve your brother. So this, if you can imagine, absolutely just ticks Esau off. In fact, so much so that he said that he plotted to have his brother murdered. He was literally going to kill his brother Jacob. Well, good thing for Jacob, Mama Bear also overheard that conversation, and Rebecca went then to Isaac and said, Honey, I really don't want my baby marrying one of these Canaanite women, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to send him to my brother Laban way up there north, and that way he can find a wife of our own family. And so Isaac's like, yeah, that, that's a good idea. I'm not a big fan of these Canaanite women either. And so Mama helps him out, and Jacob then escapes, and he takes off toward Laban's family up in the um, area of Haran. Now, in the way there, he gets to this place that he later names Bethel. And he sets up camp, and he, and he has this rock, and he, and he lays down to go to sleep. And in the midst of his sleep, he has this amazing vision of this staircase that goes from heaven to earth, and there's angels coming down and angels going up, very much signifying the work of God through his ministering spirits, these angels that were doing his work on earth. And then he sees God at the top of this ladder, and God begins to speak to him. And God begins to, to tell him these, um, these beautiful promises that he's going to give him land and he's going to provide for him and he's going to protect him and he's going to take care of him and all these different things, right? Now at this, you would think that Jacob would just been like, wow, I will serve you no matter what, right? Well, here's his response in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 and 21. So Jacob made this vow, listen to this, if... God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's house, then I will certainly serve the Lord, and he will be my God. And so he put conditions on his service to the Lord. He's like, okay, so if you hold up your end of the bargain, then I'll think about serving you. This is where Jacob was at, or one of these heroes of the faith. This is where he was at at one point at this particular time in his life. He wanted God's blessings, but he conditioned his commitment to God based on what God did for him. Not the best example in the world, right? But unfortunately, uh, we see a lot of that, don't we? And isn't that so tempting in our lives sometimes? Like, God, I will serve you as long as things are going good. As long as you bless me, as long as you help me, as long as I have money in the bank, as long as I have my help, then we're good. But as soon as anything goes wrong, well, we'll talk about it. Well, that's not the way that it should be. God's either worthy of worship or he's not, right? And so it was just something to think about. Well, anyways, 
Jacob goes and he, he rides up at Haran and he, he comes to this well and he meets Rachel for the first time. And it is love at first sight. Rachel's one of his, eventually becomes his wife, right? And so and there's this really cool picture, right? So he comes to the well and these shepherds are there waiting and, and there's a few of them there. And he's like, well, why aren't you guys watering the sheep? Because the stone's too heavy and we need to wait for a couple more shepherds here to, to, to come move it. Well, about this time, Rachel was coming down with her sheep. And, you know, Jacob, he's like... I got this. You know, he goes over, he picks up that stone, and he tosses that thing over to the side, and then he goes and introduces himself to Rachel. And, and anyways, next thing you know, they come back, and, and he meets his uncle Laban, um, and, uh, and he, he told him he was going to stay there with them for a while. Uh, after a month or so passes, Laban comes to Jacob and says, look, I mean, it's great that you're here, and I appreciate that you're, that you're working for me, but he said, you, you deserve some sort of pay. Um, I want to make sure I give you some compensation for what you're doing, right? And so Jacob's like, well, I, I got a deal for you. How about you give me your daughter, Rachel, as my wife because I really want her to be my wife. And so Laban was also a little bit of a swindler himself. He says, okay, here's what we'll do. You work for me for seven years, and I will give you my daughter, Rachel. Deal. And, you know, as it goes on, it says those seven years... Was, it says in verse 20, Jacob worked those seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it, it seemed but a few days. It's like a romance novel, isn't it? Well, the, the wedding day comes, and uh, the trickster got tricked. Because uh, instead of, I mean, you've got to understand the culture again, I mean, dark and veils and all these different things, right? But uh, wedding night comes, and custom says the father brings the bride to the husband in the wedding tent, and they come together, right? And uh, the only problem was, is the next morning, he, he woke up and went, you're not Rachel. Instead, Laban gave him his other daughter, the older daughter, which was Leah, and so at this, Jacob is just infuriated. He's like, you tricked me. That, that's not, was, that was not our deal. And, and Laban's like, well, listen, it's okay. Just, just you know, let, let the marriage week pass. And then at the end of the marriage week, I'll also give you Rachel as your second wife. And then you have to work for me seven more years, though, and agree to do that. And so Jacob's like, okay, fine, whatever. And so one wife turns into two, and then two turns into four. And next thing you know, he's in an absolute giant Mass, if you can imagine a man with four wives living in the same home, um, a little bit of drama. Um, and you can read about that in 29 and 30 and 31 and all that kind of stuff, right? But uh, um, anyways, through, through much discussion, Jacob agrees to stay there probably another 20 years because the time he, from the time he left his father to the time he got back, as we'll, we'll see in a moment, was a period of about 40 years. And anyways, about this time, he, he tells... Laban, he's like, look, I want to go back to my father. And Laban's like, well, I just assume you stay here because I've gotten rich off of you, essentially is what he was saying, right? And so Jacob's like, yeah, but I, I really would like to make something for myself so I have something to show for this at some point, right? And so he's like, here, how about this? Here's what we'll do, he tells Laban. How about we separate the sheep? I'll take the striped ones, the speckled ones, and the black ones, which in a flock of sheep were kind of the oddballs, right? There weren't a lot of them. And so but Jacob the schemer had a plan, right? And so Laban's like, that sounds like a fantastic deal. You can have those, and I'll take the other ones, right? And so they do that. Well, so Jacob, he, he, he comes up with this concoction where he takes strips of bark from like these different kinds of trees, and then he, he puts them in the water when the striped ones are there to drink and when they're mating and all these kind of things. Anyways, through, through a course of events, he gets massive herds of sheep and goats and all these different things, and his, and his father-in-law, Laban, 
begins to lose more and more and more and more to the point where Laban's just like, I'm not really liking this deal. You're getting rich off of of my expense, and I'm getting poor. And so he started to treat Jacob bad. He started to treat Jacob's wives poorly. And we get to this point, and Jacob tells his wives, it is time for us to go. I'm done with this. I want to go back to my family. And his wives are like, well, that's fine with us. Dad's not treating us very nice either, so let's just take off and go. And so they take off while Laban is three days away shearing sheep. And they take off and just start running away the other, the other way. I mean, is that not like, I mean, we're talking about a man that was 97 years old. What do you think he'd have been man enough just to come to him and say, I'm leaving? But no. In the middle of the night, they take off with Laban's daughters and all of his grandchildren and all of the wealth, and they take off. Well, Laban catches wind of this and grabs a bunch of his kin, and they go chase down Jacob, and um, they're going to make him pay for his betrayal. They finally catch up to him on the hillside of Gilead right before Jacob was was able to make his way across the river to go back to his family land. However, the good thing for Jacob was that God intervened. God came to Laban and told Laban, don't touch him. You touch him, you're in trouble, big trouble. And so Laban comes and speaks with Joseph or Jacob, and he, and he says, you know, why'd you, why'd you do that? I mean, you should have at least let me hug my children and my grandchildren and wish you goodbye. I'd, I'd have sent you off with a party and all these different things, and, and next thing you know, this squabble ensues, and, 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 and finally they come to this point where they make a covenant with one another, and in God's sight, they say, look, here's a line. We set up some stones. You don't go past these stones. I won't go past these stones. We're happy campers, right? And so we're at this point, which kind of brings us back to where we are today, right? And so Jacob, because of his decision, because of his scheming, has completely burned the bridge that away, back in Haran, right? Now he only has one direction he can go, which is that away. The only problem with that away is that's where Esau lives. And we started with Esau, Esau the brother that wanted to murder him, the brother that he swindled all those years ago out of not only his birthright, but it was father's blessing, and he was absolutely convinced that his brother still wanted to kill him, so here he finds himself in this conundrum of what in the world am I going to do? And so he sends some of his servants, we're back in chapter 32 now, he sends some of his servants to go meet his brother Esau, and he's like, you know, go tell him that your, your servant Jacob, I like the way he puts that, Jacob, I'm your servant, right? Your servant Jacob, he, 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 he wants to come, and he, he, would, he would like it very much if you would allow him to come back into the land. Well, his servants don't even get to Laban at Laban. However, they get close enough to see that, that not Laban, but Esau, they, they get close enough to Esau to see that he's coming with an army of like 400 men. And now Jacob is just fearful. And at the, in, in, in chapter 32 there, starting in verse, um, in verse 9, he begins this whole prayer. He begins to start calling out to God and, and pleading with the Lord for help, for God to intervene and, and, to, and to save him, right? What's interesting is God doesn't answer him. It's interesting. He sought God, and he prayed, but God never answered. Now, there's some little note there, too, that there's sometimes when we pray that it takes more than a, a God help me, and he just shows up. I mean, sometimes prayer needs to be, we need to wait on God's answer before we proceed and move, and um, it's Kind of what we see here. Anyway, so Jacob devises this plan, a pretty good plan, in hopes of his brother Esau forgiving him. So he sends like 
whole bunch of animals. He gives them 220 goats, 220 rams, 30 camels, 50 cows, 30 donkeys. And he's like, here, this is a gift to, for, to you from your servant. Just please let me pass. Which brings us back to our verses finally for today. I gave you all that to get back to verse 22 through 32. And verse 22 and 23, it says, During the night, after everybody else was over there, Jacob took all of his wives, his servants, his children, all of his possessions, and he springs them over to the other side of the river, and he, Jacob, comes back, and there he sits all alone. Can you just imagine what was going through his mind about this time? Do you think just maybe that all of his mistakes and all of his decisions and all of his scheming was just kind of going around in his head like, man, what a mess have I made? I mean, if, if you think about that, I mean, it's pretty crazy. All of his decisions in the 97 years had gotten him to this point where he couldn't go that way and he was scared to go that way. Dad's probably mad at me. My brother probably hates me. I can't go back there because I burnt that bridge. Now, what in the world am I going to do? And he sits there in the midst of the dark thinking about these things. When this, when it says man showed up, that we know um, because of the later verses that it was God. And it says that they began to wrestle. In fact, they wrestled all night long until the break of dawn. I mean, Jacob was literally wrestling God, which seems kind of crazy. But here's a question that I ask when I read this, is how did he not know? Like, how did he not know who he was wrestling? And I think I have the answer. Now, he did know God, but he, he knew him as the God of his father Isaac, and he knew him as the God that his grandfather Abraham served. So there was dad's God and grandpa's God, but he didn't know him that way. He, he knew God existed. He recognized the, the, the blessings of God in his life. He knew of God's promises. He even prayed to God was he when he was in trouble. But the big problem was, was he had a knowledge of God, but not a closeness to God. He had never walked with God. He, he had never walked hand in hand with the Lord. And so when God was right there next to him, he didn't even recognize him. Which again, it's just, I mean, it makes total sense when you really stop to think about it. Now, this, this picture of Jacob wrestling with God, it's more than just a wrestling match. Really what this is, is a spiritual picture that I really believe is so symbolic of Jacob's entire life. Now you think about this, the Lord, what God said, you, you're, I'm going to change your name, we'll get to that in a minute, but he said because you have wrestled with man and wrestled with God. Jacob's entire life had been full of schemes and deceit and lies, living in his own wisdom, his own strength. In fact, Jacob, his literal name means heel grabber and deceiver. That, that's literally what Jacob means. And he de definitely lived up to it well. His entire life, he'd been living in his own wisdom and his own strength. But what had his scheming gotten him? He was at odds with his father. He had made a mess of his household with four wives who were constantly fighting. He had gotten rich off of swindling his uncle, Le uh, his uncle Laban of his flocks, and now he was on the outs with him. His brother, he thought, hated them and wanted him dead. And, and now his brother was on his way to meet him with an army, and he was literally at his wit's end. Jacob had been in control of his life, and because of that, he had gotten himself in one giant mess. 
And see, I believe this wrestling match was God's way of showing him that very thing. That he'd been, he'd been wrestling his entire life. He'd been wrestling with God his whole life. It wasn't just those few moments. God had been trying to get him to, to God had been trying to lead Jacob for years. Forty years before this, he came to Jacob and promised him all these things and said, I want to protect you. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to be your God. And for 40 years, he'd been resisting. For 40 years, he'd been living in his own strength and his own wisdom. And because of that, he'd gotten in the mess that he was in. And so they, they wrestle till dawn, and God finally said, it's, it's time to let go. And Jacob says, no, I'm not letting go. And so it says that, that God took him and he, and he popped his hip out of socket. And at this point, we, we see Jacob like this absolutely broken man, like literally broken, but th- there's more to this as well because he wasn't just physically broke. God finally had him in the place that he wanted him to be, which was spiritually broken. In this moment, he, he, he has this seemingly like understanding like, now what? My hip's out of socket, I can't fight. Can't go that way. I can't go that way. What am I going to do? The only thing I can do is hold as tightly to God as I possibly can. And see, in that moment, he obviously realizes who this is because he, he says to him, the man said, let me go for down is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not go unless you bless me. And so he's holding on for all that he's worth. He says, I can't move forward without you. And in that moment, Jacob found himself in his weakest state physically and yet in his greatest strength spiritually that he'd ever been. Because he was finally at a point where he realized his only hope to move forward was God. You know, brokenness is not a bad thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. Brokenness is a very, very good thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. And then there's times where God will allow circumstances in our life, tough things in our life, tragedies in our life, where we feel we're broken. And all of those are for the same purpose as it was for Jacob. Because God is trying to pull us to himself to get us to realize that he's our only hope. Getting us to realize that he is our only way forward and our only hope to move forward is to hold us tightly to him as possible. And it's exactly what we see Jacob do here. Well, then we get to verse 27 or 28 and God changes his name. This signifies this huge spiritual change that took place in Jacob's life. He, He went from a man that was fighting in his own strength to a man who God was fighting for. Because when he changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which is where we get the nation of Israel today, it's named after this man, Jacob, that name Israel literally means God fights. And so instead of being the deceiver, he was now the man who God fought for. And like I said, he was physically weakened, but spiritually the strongest place that he had ever been. Now, I like verse 29. So Jacob asks him, he said, what's your name? And, and what's he say here? What do you want to know my name for? <laughs> Does this sound familiar? Remember Moses a few years after this? He's at the burning bush, and he's like, well, well who am I supposed to tell these Israelites who you are? I am who I am. That's essentially what uh, he tells Jacob here. I am who I am. You don't need to know my name. Now, Jacob commemorates this experience by naming the place, the face of God, and we see this beautiful picture in verse 31. It says, 
that uh, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, if he was limping, my guess is he had what? A stick. If you had your hip out of socket, you wouldn't be walking on it, right? So you can picture him almost on this walking stick, just kind of making himself across the way, right? Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. Hebrews is the faith chapter, right? At the end of Jacob's life, it says, It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. From that moment, for the rest of his life, until the day he died, he had a continual reminder that the only way he could have victory in his life was to lean completely on God. Because that was his only hope. And can I tell you something? The same is true in our lives. You know, I think all of us have times that we wrestle with God a little bit. Circumstances in our life that are difficult, that, you know, whether it's relationships or job issues or personal sin struggles or marriage issues or or whatever, so often we find ourselves in a similar situation as Jacob because we're sitting and fighting our own strength, trying to do things our way, trying to fix things our way, and all it does is getting us to a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger mess. Like quicksand, we just get deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, from this text, I think one just valuable lesson is we need to recognize that living in our own wisdom and strength will get us nothing but trouble. You know, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 tells us there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way to death. Proverbs 28 and verse 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Can I tell you something? If if we are going to walk in our own strength and our own wisdom, we will fall flat on our face every single time. And this goes back to a message I preached a few weeks ago. Um, and back in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, that, that message I talked about, about this war within us. Listen, to, I want to remind you of verse 17. It says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit inside of us wants. The spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so we are not free to carry out our good intentions. Can I tell you something? You and your own strength are doing the bidding of your sinful nature. Your only hope for victory is to cling to the Lord, just like Jacob clinged to the Lord. Our only hope is to cling as tightly to him as possible because in that moment we are our strongest. When we're not attached to the Lord, when we're not seeking him, when we're not trusting him, when we're not holding on to him, we will fail. It's inevitable. And the longer we live in our own strength, the worse and worse off we get. Which means, like Jacob, the best place we can be. Just like Jacob was leaning on his stick, trusting in the Lord. It's this picture of what we should be. Completely leaning on God all the time. Allowing him to be the one that we depend on. Allowing him to be the one that we trust in continually. You think about that, I mean, we can trust in him for our strength, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary, all you have heavy, have heavy burdens. He says, I'll give you rest. We can come to him. 
Isaiah 40, 28-31, I love this passage. Have you not heard, have you not understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired. Young men will fail in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run, not weary. They'll walk and not faint. We need to trust in the Lord. He is our strength. He is our provider. He is the one where we seek our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says the foolishness, foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 1 Corinthians 3.18 and 19. Let no one deceive himself. If any of you thinks he is wise in this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. When we walk in our own wisdom and our own strength, we will fall on our face. The Lord is where our wisdom is, he's where our strength is, he's where our provision is, and he is where our hope is. As Psalm 33 says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. That's the only place we're going to find it. Guys, I close. If you're a Christian here, if you made a decision to follow Christ, I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what area of your life you're wrestling with God in, but quit fighting on your own strength and lean on him. Trust him with all you got. Hold on to him as tightly as you can, and in that moment you will find and begin to see your victory begin. If you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Savior, that's your wrestling match right now. Because right now you're walking in your own wisdom, you're walking in your own strength, and the end is a place called hell place of eternal separation from God forever. And the good thing for you and the good thing for me is that's why God sent Jesus. He went to a cross to pay for your sin, for my sin. He died. The full weight of our sin was placed on him. He was buried in the grave. Three days later, he walked out alive, which signifies that we not only have salvation in him, we have eternal life available through him because Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 that tells us the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead that dwells in us is our same hope because that same spirit will also raise our mortal bodies to life one day again as well. That is the hope that is in Christ. And if you're wrestling with that, quit wrestling and just submit to the Lord and grab onto him through Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this night. Thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, God, just for your grace and your mercy and the salvation we've been given in Jesus. God, give us the strength and the, and the humility to, to recognize that in our strength alone we will fail. Let us be humble enough, God, to, to trust in you and, and to, to realize and just admit that we can't do it. And God, I just pray that through that, Father, that you would come near to us, that you would strengthen us, that you would lift us up, and you would help us walk in victory. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.